Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you again for joining us on the program today. We were going to go ahead and run through a couple of episodes that I had. Some interviews I've done on our sister series, Grassroots Marketing. I put these episodes on here and I abbreviate them or abridge them because I want to make sure that you're getting just the most important content possible that matters to you because there are a number of episodes that I'll have with featured guests on that program that I think are so important to the discussion of what we're doing here on Blunt Business that I want to let the reference be put here so that you have full context of what's going on. So I drop these interviews like I did last week and this week and the week after. For the next couple of weeks, I just want to make sure you're getting the references that I might bring up during the show because great discussions that should be on Blunt Business but might be on a different program. I'm going to bring them over here to make sure you know what's going on because they're so important these two episodes critical to me number one we have the folks at hemp flavin and that's dr donato barrio and brian dickerson that they did a study on cbd when it comes to chronic pain that i think they really did some great work on and we go into the weeds of all the numbers and all the studies that they find out among ages i think it was eight to eight years old what they found out from the study. We're going to talk about that. And then I've talked about this many times on the program, Evan Sumner with the Maine Growers Alliance and Casco Bay Hemp, because we talk about the state of Maine and their medical marijuana program and some of the things that were being done within, you know, the state legislature and their cannabis control board and what you need to know that could happen very much in your state you need to follow what's going along in maine that's why this interview with evan sumner is coming up after the break but i'm giving you both of these episodes today here on blunt business because it's important to the conversation first off my interview with dr donato barrio and brian dickerson with hemp flavin starts now we're going to learn about something out of the quaint little city of LaBelle, Florida, which is only about 45 minutes from where my hometown was in Bell Glade. And there, it's a company called Doctors Hemp Solutions that recently announced a new clinical study of a product they have called Hemp Flavin. Hemp, F-L-A-V-I-N, which demonstrates a significant improvement for acute and chronic pain patients with zero side effects. Joining me right now to go ahead and talk about this I am here with Dr. Donato Barrio, and I'm with here with Brian Dickerson, both with Hemp Flavin and Dr. Hemp Solutions. Gentlemen, thanks for being on. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to go make, oh, oh, let's go ahead and explain what Hemp Flavin is. It's a proprietary blend of 23 canaflavins, canflavins, excuse me, and flavonoids extracted from an heirloom and variety, which is over 2,000 years old, formulated to be used for severe body aches, muscle soreness, and other pain relief by creating a synergistic flavonoid response known as the flavonoid entourage effect. And these flavonoids, um, you know, previous studies have shown that they have prominent anti-inflammatory action and may help augment the body's antioxidant defense. So we've heard a lot, and I'll post this first to you, Dr. Barrio, where we've heard studies talk about how there's various CBD-based products that have been put out in the market that are said to go ahead and help with pain relief. But in this study here, what did you find out specifically that really just supported what you found out about this product and you know what, the, what level of relief it, the, this product provides? 
Well, yeah, I, I think we have to lay a little bit of the, uh, the framework before getting down uh, into the detail of the study. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, uh, if we look at uh, if you look at cannabinoids and we look at the milieu of uh, substances that we can extract uh, from cannabis, uh, what, what, we, what we find is a spectrum of ingredients, and we've, we've sort of come full circle. Initially, we were trying very hard to isolate each and every component, and we've looked at what the receptors are, then we looked at the endocannabinoid system and we looked at where each of these specific uh, ingredients or messengers act. Now we're starting to come back uh, and look at it as, well, maybe they need each other to work better. Maybe they need each other to have a better effect, an overall effect, which, which makes sense. Okay, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're living animals and uh, plants are living organisms, and they have cells, and they need to they need to communicate between the cells. They need to have uh, a response uh, to when they're they're in danger or, or when they become irritated. And you know, my interest uh, goes back. Uh, I, my background is I'm a, I'm a physician and also an attorney. And uh, as a physician, I'm, I'm boarded in preventive medicine, uh, did a residency in preventive medicine. Uh, and uh, as an attorney, I had an interest in the FDA uh, law, and that brought me into the realm of off-label use of, of medications. And we've seen that we can compound or use different medications to, to play around with these receptors and sometimes a compounded or mixture of these medications works better. So that's, that's sort of kind of, there's a little bit of a framework there. Um, my specific interest uh, is when uh, Brian Dickerson approached me and said, well, what, what do you think about something that might be able to prevent uh, an inflammatory response or, or or protect against an, against an inflammatory response uh, to replace some of the, the medications that, that cause problems. So we, we have medications that are anti-inflammatory. That's not new. You know, we, we know the pathway for inflammation. We know that, that, that there's um, prostaglandins involved. We know that arachidonic acid gets converted to prostaglandin. We know how to in- inhibit that. And, we, and and that enzyme is, is, is called a COX or, or, or a cyclooxygenase type of enzyme. So we, we know how to inhibit that. Unfortunately, some of the, some of the drugs used to inhibit, uh, such as Vioxx, which is a COX-2 inhibitor, that is not good. We found that that increases stroke and it increases myocardial infarction, and so obviously those are not good things. Uh, we, we then have... Uh, uh, NSAIDs or, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications such as Motrin, aspirin, and, and those are what we call COX inhibitors, uh, both uh, cyclooxygenase 1 and 2, and that prevents the formation of prostaglandin and, and inhibits uh, inflammation. But, but when Brian approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in looking at a medication or, or, or what we've extracted that prevents inflammation, that doesn't have those side effects, that doesn't have the GI, uh, the gastrointestinal side effects, and, and obviously that doesn't have the myocardial infarction and stroke side effects, would you be interested in that? And of course I said, sure. You know, I, I think that'd be something interesting to look at. Now, so that's, quickly, I want to just jump here real quick, and I want to ask Brian, uh, when it comes to you know, the extraction, uh, and, and really working with Dr. Brio on when we always learn about on the show, I've talked to a few people when it comes to supplements and things like that, where they talk about where is this, like if it's a nutritional supplement, you'd find it at a GNC vitamin store, vitamin shop. There's the matter of, okay, where in the plant are you extracting from? What can you tell me about where you're getting exactly this hemp extract, which is able to go ahead and what, that's the one that's being used for hemp flavor. What can you tell me about that part? 
Well, I can tell you that we use a combination of heirloom hemp seeds, old seeds, 2,000-year-old seeds, a mixture of the varieties of plants that are very old, but they're, they haven't been used as much in our modern space and modern world. We get it from the guts of the plant, and that's the easiest way to describe it, George, is it's really the guts of the plant versus the flower or the cannabinoids. It is the gut of the plant. Does it make it harder to extract? It's a lot more difficult to extract. It's a very crucial timing on extraction. And then is there anything in terms of uh, the perishability and, and in terms of uh, when you have to go and put it into product, whether it's tincture or whether it's another uh, admissible way? Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a very fragile, the flavonoids are fragile, fragile to light and fragile to heat. So it is key when we're extracting as far as the temperature and how we store it um, and the light. Um, but that's really easy to handle. Um, when packaging, creating the product, but those are key issues when you're extracting. Dr. Brio, on the product itself, the tincture is available. The website is hempflavin.com, hemp, F-L-A-V-I-N.com. You have it available in tinctures, uh, which is regular strength is 100 microkilograms, 300 microkilograms in extra strength for a, an extract tincture, tincture and a headache tincture. Uh, talk to me about the, you know, when you are directed, when people are being directed to go and use the product, I mean, how effective and what, how long is the effect of using a drop or using the cream? Well, the, the tincture is what the study was based on. And, and we're talking about mic, uh, micrograms, uh, not, not the kilograms. So it's, it's 300 micrograms and, and 100 uh, micrograms, um, just, to, just as a correction there. Okay. And, um, so it's the tincture, and as Brian pointed out, you know, to extract that, um, it is such a small percentage of the plant. It's, it's, we're talking less than 1%. So the extraction process, which uh, I'll, I'll defer to, to Brian and, and, and the, uh, the chemistry experts, uh, you know, that, that extraction process uh, really has given us a, a product that clinically is useful. So that's, that's where I got excited is the fact that now you actually have enough to, to do something with. You have enough to inhibit prostaglandin um, synthesis, which is, uh, which is what um, causes the inflammation. And, and there was a, uh, a doctor by the name of Barrett uh, who in the 80s showed that um, canaflavin A and B has approximately a 30-fold uh, increase in, in blocking prostaglandins than, than aspirin does. So, and it's a little bit further down the, the, the metabolic pathway because we're talking about prostaglandin E uh, versus prostaglandin H. And so it's a little bit further down the pathway, but you can see the benefit of having something that inhibits the inflammatory response further down the metabolic pathway that avoids gastrointestinal involvement and avoids the stroke and, and MI um, uh, adverse effects. So when we put the study together, uh, typically when you put a study together without getting too much into the, the biostatistics and epidemiology uh, type of setup, you know, when you put a study together, you look at, okay, is this going to be prospective, retrospective, is it going to be blinded, double-blinded, et cetera, et cetera. And so... We went non-blinded because we wanted to see if it had any adverse effects first and foremost. Because obviously, if you have adverse effects, you stop the study and you don't keep going. So uh, we started out with uh, 65 uh, participants, and as with any study, you, you never have 100% participants. So we got down to I'm 46. reading the effect right now in the study itself, which if you want to go and take a look at it, look a look for a hemp flavin study at doctorshemphemp.solutions.com 65 adult volunteer patients randomly generated for participation 46 or 70% completed the full study protocol no adverse effects were reported or a quote failure to respond end quote as reasons for leaving or not participating in the study and then of the 46 20 or 52% of them were female 40% male and mean age was 60 and you had participants between 31 and 90 years old. 
So in the results, was there anything that you learned about uh, if there was any difference in, in who took the in who took the tincture and the effects were? And then do you know anything? What, what can you tell us in terms of where in the participants you had those that were suffering from osteoarthritic ailments, microtrauma, and macrotrauma? Can you give me a little idea of what kind of ailments that you were dealing with and what was being treated? Yes, I mean, the, the, it's, it's uh, multiple joints, arthritic conditions. And uh, with that, as you'll notice, the, the population is obviously not pediatric, it's not adolescent, it's an older population. And with that older population, one could reasonably anticipate that there would be multiple joints of arthritis involved. Now, not every joint that has arthritis is symptomatic. However... Um, the overall stiffness, aches and pains, uh, et cetera, that are associated with multi-joint degenerative change, uh, that, uh, that had a positive response. And so we saw that the larger, joint in, uh, larger joints that had inflammation, for example, hips and shoulders, those seemed to respond very well. Uh, the uh, smaller joints also had a response, you know, the, the stiffness that one could have in, in uh, hands uh, as aches and pains. And as incidental findings, we also found that, that headaches uh, did receive also uh, a good response. But uh, in, in general, it's an older population, multiple joints, larger joints responded better than the uh, stiffness. But overall, we had a very good positive response that, that warrants further investigation, larger study, more robust, but very promising. And also... Was this study conducted in South Florida where you're based? So, I mean, I would imagine you'd have a lot of senior citizens here that are being regularly, you know, they're being checked in by their doctors, they're seeing their physicians regularly, and most of them might have particular joint pain or various issues, headaches, things like that. Uh, no. Actually, I'm, I'm out of uh, East Lansing, oh. uh, Michigan. Yes. So we're, we're geographically uh, separated, so the, uh, you know, the study itself and the, and the uh, uh, production facility, uh, which, which helps as far as uh, trying to be uh, non-biased there. But we're, uh, we're geographically separated. The vast majority of patients were from the southeast. Um, the, the, uh, the study was conducted through telemedicine uh, oh. rather than in person. And so that's how we were able to uh, collectively get quite a bit of random um, uh, generation and data. Different patients, different parts of the, the United States, um, as, you, as you saw by the numbers, about 50-50 male, female, older population. Uh, and, uh, and that made it interesting as far as uh, how people respond. As you know, um, you, can have, you can have symptoms with changes in the weather with regard to to larger joints, et cetera, et cetera. So it was interesting to see Southeast versus versus Midwest and, and uh, Northeast populations as far as the response. We didn't break it down that way, right. however. But, but I, the uh, study is, is, is tremendous. I mean, I would recommend people to go and look at the study for yourselves. One of your patients was 90 years old, female, history of COPD, and a rotator cuff tear that needed surgery, pain scale from 1 to 10, 10 being highest was a 9, and you offered a 3-milliliter dose, 100 micro kilo, uh, micrograms per day. Pay relief lasted 20 hours, and then a second tincture lasted another 24 hours. That's amazing. And that tells you more than anything about the, the idea of what this product is, and you have a significant work, and you stand behind it. It's amazing. And now, uh, Brian, to get back to you, you know, when you've been able to go ahead and talk to people and people had a chance to go ahead and order the product, you know, have you heard any similar stories so far from customers and what they said about the product so far after trying it themselves? Yeah, we've had a great response from the customers. Uh, for example, we had one in December of a, a younger woman, so go to the 20s, getting married, but she needed to have surgery, back surgery. Wow. They couldn't find anything to be able to heal her, to help her. And of course, this isn't something that heals, it's a supplement. And she tried the 300 microgram dose daily, and she's up on our website. 
she was actually able to stand up and walk for her wedding. So that story right there was just a phenomenal to hear um, a young woman be able to help her, be able to help her actually walk for a wedding. And then she had the surgery after her wedding. Um, the other stories, Georgia, are from military. And one of the reasons we were making this is I have so many former friends and colleagues uh, from college football who are in the military or who are in law enforcement, and they can't have anything with THC to help with their pain. Since this has no cannabinoids and no THC, this is something they can use. So we have a lot of law enforcement and military personnel who have used it and have been able to stop their pain um, from very severe injuries as far as, like Dr. Barilla was talking about, large joint injuries, um, rotator cuff, hips, and ankles. So as we're going to wrap this up, again, the website is hempflavin.com, H-E-M-P-F-L-A-V-I-N.com, doctorshempsolutions.com. And I got to tell you this. I worked at an Eckerd's pharmacy back in the 90s when I was going into college. And I worked in a pharmacy up the, uh, as, as a clerk. And so everybody coming to the cash register and knowing, seeing, going to pick up, people picking up prescriptions. And some of those picking up 30-day supply of narcotics or addictive painkillers. And then I saw people that came in very upset if they did not have those pills. And the pharmacist having to fight back and say, listen, we need to go take a look at your dosage. We need to talk to your doctor. And the outrage that would happen in the store to see people like that. When now we see a study like this, heirloom hemp seeds, plant-based from the ground. Nothing uh, uh, it is plant-based. It's natural, organic. It's the, studies, I mean, the study says itself. It speaks for itself. Great work, gentlemen. Thanks so much for making time to join us. Really appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thanks, George. Thank you very much. Let's step out for a commercial break. When we come back, Evan Sumner with the Main Growers Alliance here on Blunt Business. Stay with us. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Mountain Business. Time now for my interview with Evan Sumner with the Maine Growers Alliance. This is important. If you listen to what's been going on in the state of Maine, the Cannabis Control Board, the medical marijuana program, what they're doing right now, this should concern all of you out there listening in because of an issue that we talk about when it comes to compliance, when it comes to what kind of directives or what kind of direction that they want to do when it comes to who is going to be affected, small or big business, by what the Cannabis Control Board decides to implement. And where the work of the Main Growers Alliance is trying to stay on top of this so that the legislators do not take control of this to the point where not everyone can get a seat on the table, as we always talk about. When you're looking at what's going to go on with federal legislation, with legalization down the line, to make sure there's a, there are people at the at every seat at the table available for them to know what's going on. Same thing happens on the state level as well. So here's my avenue with, with Evan Sumner with the Main Growers Alliance. Take a listen to what's being talked about. Keep an, a clear eye. A really listen in and find out what's going on because I was shocked to hear with what I what I got to hear from Evan. Here we go. The understanding of what you do with the Main Growers Alliance the craft cannabis industry and trying to protect that industry because of the importance of where it's going to be when it comes to the big corporate large scale MSOs coming into different areas. And as soon as Maine offers more 
relief for and then a federal rollout comes in then you can see where MSOs are going to come in and where will craft cannabis be once this all comes into play the chess game begins so the main office of marijuana policy had back last january released a preliminary draft of rule changes to the medical marijuana program you have one in place and it would be aligning the program with state law some of the changes would have been strict security and surveillance measures but since this happened this was about a week ago the the story was reported that this has been scrapped but the thing was this is where the government control board wanted to go with this they were looking at requiring all registered medical cannabis caregivers dispensaries and manufacturing facilities to implement a seed to sale product tracking system metric which is very familiar in other states which is already used in Maine's adult use cannabis program and the purpose is to keep illicit products out of the legal market, legal products from ending up in the black market. So what was being said in this is that it really was just more about oversight and more about, you know, compliance. And I just feel like it's just more control over what's going on there. And with that said, in the same vein, you actually spoke on behalf talking about how these Rules may have been shorter than the last, but it's not short on overreaching or overburdensome regulations, which is what I read when I read this. Talk to me right now about the fact that the control board decided not to go forward with this and what brought this all up. What was the the real reason about having to go ahead and try to instill the fact that if the industry is already using metric anyway and they're already doing their own self-compliance, why does the government need to intervene? Right. No, and, and you've really hit hit the nail on the head. I mean, we've had a, a very decent, um, you know, as, as far as public health and safety goes, a very decent rules package uh, since 2018. Um, the, the Office of Marijuana Policy focused a, a couple, I'd say a year and a half, two years to roll out um, adult use, which was um, 2020. Um, <clears throat> and I and so, thank you for correcting me that. So you do have adult use now in Maine. Yeah, we um, by uh, in 2016 we passed uh, via referendum, state referendum. Um, now, however, rollout, it took four real years. Real quickly before we go along, talk to me about where the rollout is now. Has everything been implemented for 2021? Has that actually? Are we now in adult use? Dispensaries are all set up, and and commerce is is, is a in full flux. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we've had commerce for uh, probably 14 months now, okay. roughly. Uh, on the adult use side, um, medical's been around since 1999. Uh, we were the second second in the U.S. Yes. Um, so, so to go back to your initial question, the the history we have a very long history with cannabis in the state. Um, I, I like to refer to us as the east the east northeast version of Humboldt County. Uh, you can right. <laughs> Emerald Triangle, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, we we had this nice package um no no issues really or none none reported um and then uh the office of marijuana policy was created in 2018 so you know we were self-governed for quite a while um they came in with an 82 page uh set of draft rules um basically looked at every single piece of the business from security to, you know, track and trace, um, yeah, on and on and on, um, delivery, it, it really it, very all encompassing. Um, that Can I ask set, a question? What is it yeah. that the government felt like they needed to go ahead and intervene on? What was the overreaching for? If metric was already a proven platform that works you know, most other States, I believe Florida has it the same way. I don't get what the whole deal was about what they were trying, what the intent was. You know, I'm not really sure either. Um, I think <laughs> about that. I mean, I mean, the, if you, if you read their mission statement, it's, you know, to, you know, it's, it's public health and safety to avoid overreaching overburdensome. I mean, it's everything that as an industry and a, you know, a, a patient wants, but, they didn't really adhere to that. And what it did was it caused a huge uproar in the community. Um, I mean, we had the first set of draft rules two years ago. Uh, there was nine hours of, of test, public testimony. And that's 
um, against, and that's a three minute when, you know, you've got three minutes to speak. So we had nine hours of, of people testifying against that set of rules. So um, what happened um, was that kind of got tabled. Um, and then we were able to, uh, as a group push uh, LD 1242, which is a bill that essentially took the control away from the office of marijuana policy and um, brought it back to the legislation. So it's, it's called major sub substantive rule making. Mm -hmm. So now if the office brings a rules package, it has to go in front of committee, just like you're bringing another bill. So that really kind of um, gave us a lot of breathing room and, and a lot more time to explain to to the legislators to the committee that uh, that oversees um, any of this policy and and kind of get them on board um, as as a medical industry we felt like we were getting pushed out by the adult use industry um, we actually had uh, you know the, the state had hired uh, consultants from that industry to help them write policy and that's that's the 82 pages that we got um, so we, we managed to pass 1242 and luckily, um, now that's rulemaking has gone back to the committee. Um, we are able to start, you know, we, we have a seat at the table at this point. Um, we, we're not just getting pushed around. We can make, you know, we can make suggestions. Um, and, and the second set of draft rules, which is the article that you're just reading from, um, was 60 pages, um, still full of overreaching, um, overburdensome. So same, really the same thing. And uh, again, we squashed, we're able to squash that and um, put us in a really good spot. Um, as far as metric goes, you know, if you look at the medical programs in 14 states, metric has pretty much killed those programs. And adult use has kind of absorbed all that business. Um, we were the first state to block metric in the medical program. Um, we, and, and now basically with this, the, the rules package being um, kind of taking a back seat, we're now looking at statutory language. So we're headed mm -hmm. to try to fix the issue that the, so fix it in law before, you know, creating rules based off of law that doesn't really make sense. So now, what is it about metric that while it might be somewhat of a standard for other states, uh, what is the uh, the onus? Why you feel like it's not effective for Maine and the industry there? Yeah, so metric is you know it's really it's it's a a compliance package. You know it's right. it's created to to you know stop diversion. Um, but you know really we're we're a legal state. You know so anybody can grow it. Anybody can have it. You know twenty one plus. Right. So is diversion really such a big issue? I, I don't really think so. Um, if and, and it's not to say that we, we're not going to have a system in place for, for the IRS, because that's really, you know, taxes are a huge portion, right? Right. So you there, say that there's just not one platform that you have to go and abide by, or that it might be also a cost quotient as well. I, I can see where that yeah. comes from. I mean, you want to have options. Well, there's, so there's plant tagging, right? So you need to, an RFID chip for every single you know, every single plant, every single stage of the plant. Um, so there's, there's that cost. Um, there's that pollution too. I mean, you're talking about RFIDs that you're throwing away by the thousands. Um, yeah. And then really, if you go to metrics website, they'll show you right on the main page. You're like, Hey, this is what's popular in this state. And this is what's popular in that state. Yeah. So if that doesn't look like data mining and, you know, becoming a marketing platform, I don't know what is, you know, no, I agree. So the, right. Right. So, and, and really that should not, one platform should not be written into legislation. That doesn't, you know, that's, that's a monopoly. And, um, the other, the way metric works is if, um, say the internet goes down or they have a server issue, like which would happen in California, um, metric was down for two weeks. And because that's written into law, these, these companies couldn't function for two weeks. Yeah. So, or, or legally function for two weeks. So, and a lot of the small businesses we have up here in Maine, we're very rural state. Like that would, you know, two weeks you're done. That would absolutely crush an industry. And you don't necessarily say that metric is necessarily if some other companies or operators want to use it, you just want it to be mandatory. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 
So By I, all I, means, I wouldn't necessarily dispute. I, I, I totally validate you why you say why the reason it shouldn't be mandatory. I agree with that part. There should be where you have a menu of options of, of different compliance, seed to sale tracking platforms. Oh, I've talked about a lot of them here on the program here on Plum Business as well. So I get where you're coming from with that. But you know, one thing that's amazing after all this time that you've had medical and adult use in play, the tax rate is, you know, I'm surprised there's not more operators that have just funneled their way over there. I don't know if it's just where the market's just not big enough, but when I look at the tax rates, and this is as of 2017, I'm looking at this uh, particular, there's a state senator that put a information I found right off of Google search of the state tax rates. California at 40%. I don't know, obviously these probably have changed, but Maine was the lowest out of, at this point of, what was it, about 10 adult use states, Maine had the lowest tax rate of yeah. all of them. And I don't know, what's the current tax rate now, Can you, if you know that? For, um, for adult use, I'm, I think it's 20%. I'm not exactly okay. um, positive, but because uh, I'm more on the, the lower center. end among other adult use states. It is, yeah. And I mean, this is this is just typical, like, regulation coming, you know, just new regulation. It's It's always overburdensome. You, if you don't get it right, you're fighting it for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, you're never going to knock down um, a tax rate. And, and really what's like with Maine, we have, that's just state tax. Like we, we don't have municipality tax yet. Um, and I'm, you know, they're starting to catch on and, and add on another 5.5% oh, in some boy, towns. Yeah. Um, and then now, you know, the inevitable launch of federal, I mean, what, you know, like the more act is, I think, somewhere up around 40%. So it's going to be, it's going to get to a point where, okay, you're taxing, you know, 60% on the dollar. That's, I mean, it's just not a feasible thing. So the the tax, the the tax burden is is definitely a a scary issue. And the government's going to tell you, but look what the money's going to, it's going towards disenfranchised and social equity programs and opportunity zones and helping those that are unfortunate. I mean, listen, I wanted to go to those people, but do I trust the government to actually give the money to those people? No. Right. <laughs> so take the 40%, <laughs> but you know, I know what you're going to do with it. I know what you're doing with it too, okay? You don't have to play. We're not going to play dumb. We didn't get born yesterday. Come on now. Uh, yeah. I want to also ask, because I know that the other period that we haven't even touched on yet is your work in hemp, because you have... Uh, not only do you have 1780, which is doing medical cannabis, you also have Casco Bay hemp. And with Casco Bay, you're creating, you're, you're growing hemp products that are being pushed out around the country and around the legal markets around the world. And yeah. when we talk about bills and the government also intervening, the fact is the farm bill and where we're waiting for implementation of that. And there's a story from Bangor Daily News I want to quote from about how the Farm Bill hopes to take aim at what is called draconian hemp regulations in Maine. What can you tell me about what's going on there when it comes to what's the red tape that you're dealing with? So actually, we're in a pretty good spot in Maine um, right now. And we um, uh, Shelly Pingree um, is she, uh, she's a comes from a, she's a farmer and, and she's just released a bill a federal bill uh, to raise uh, THC levels to one from 0.3% to, to 1%. Um, and if that's, that kicks off, that that's going to be amazing as far as, you know, benefits of the products. Um, so that's, um, that's something that's, we should see hopefully go through the house soon. She's been just, uh, just released that a few weeks ago. That would be a nice so, change from the potency caps in some of these States like they do like Florida. They want to put a potency cap up. I guess it was 0.3% THC. And I think they want to make it less than that or something. Just it's which crazy. doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. It's I'm and, and 0.3 is an arbitrary number anyway. Like, no, I don't think anybody can source where that came from. You know, some guy said, Oh, 0.3, you know, what, where in science is that based? You know, it's, oh. it's, um like europe has just gone up to or the eu just i think is now at one percent um uk is still at 0.2 percent so it's all it's all over the place um but uh i you know hopefully hopefully there'd be some equilibrium in the next you know five or ten years around this but um it's got to be based on science i think and we're just not there yet and for those that want to go read you mentioned it was uh maine's first district democratic representative shelly pingree and the act is called the Hemp and Ve- Hemp Advancement Act of 2022. So I like that she's going with that. I would like to see how far they go with it. But, 
you know, thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to definitely try to keep it on what happens with that. And with that said, you know, otherwise it's the constant battle with government that kind of works into play. But for the most part, how do you feel about where things are 20 years plus removed from the fact that we've had cannabis legalization in Maine and one of the few northeastern, the first, the first eastern uh, leaders of the cannabis movement coming into play? Where how do you think things have gone so far? And, you know, what what room for growth is left to do? Well, I think, you know, we've 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 done really well over the, the 20 plus years and um, a lot of advocacy has happened to push things forward. There's been hiccups along the way, of, of course, um, you know, the latest being the addition of a, a department to oversee everything and then kind of having to get them into check. And I think we're probably close to that now. Um, as far as future, though, um, you know, I'm, I'm working in another group called Seed to Health, which is a um, basically, I guess, like a, uh, well, a think, tank have here, accelerator. think tank and accelerator focused on bringing botanical health efficacy to a medical standard through an open source learning health system. Yes, exactly. And to me, that's the next step. And I don't think any state out there is really really doing this yet. I, I don't think there's a system for an actual medical program, right? Me, like medical should be based on efficacy, you know, whether, or, or inefficacy for that matter. So, you know, there's getting access to cannabis is one thing, but we need to take that next step and start to say, what does a medical program look like? You know, how do we treat people quickly? How do we manage their treatment? How do we show efficacy or inefficacy so we can point people where they need to be based on their issues? Like that, that's really where I want to see Maine. And I think we're in a good position to, to start, start moving in that direction and, you know, and having that conversation and hopefully, you know, hopefully getting that in front of the legislation and, or, or at least opening up legislation so it's not blocking the ability to show efficacy you know it's it's a lot of baby steps um but we're you know we've developed some some good systems and you know uh, batching and um inputs from farmers inputs from medical doctors um inputs from the uh, the user the patient or consumer so i really you know i think this is this is definitely the time where you know, the U.S. really needs to change that narrative on is cannabis, you know, are we are we still looking at this like we're criminals getting away with something or are we actually paying attention to, you know, the, the science that's saying, yeah, people are, you know, leaving stage four cancer because they've gone on a three month regimen, you know, they, they, it's helping with, you know, on and on all the stories that, that you hear and read about, yeah. you know, we need to be able to to tie that up and, and put a bow on that and say, you know, look, FDA, look, USDA, you know, this is efficacy. This is real. Um, and let's start treating it as a medicine. And do you also feel like there should be some kind of a universal code as to how every medical cannabis program should roll out? I, I think at least, at least the ability to adopt any type, any type of rollout, really, really. I mean, I mean each state, it looks like you, you sign certain states that will roll out their medical cannabis program, and they always kind of just follow what other states, maybe that are adjacent to them, or what states that are very pop, very similar in size and population, and maybe you know density, you know the land area, trying to go off of that. And I feel like where I see where certain states go with their control boards, they set up their control board, they set up their standards, they set up you know. In terms of compliance, in terms of, and then, but obviously the one thing that always got heard, which is interesting, you make mention about compliance, is that I remember going back to 20, 2016 or 2018, or 2017, I think it was. And I remember talking to people when we would talk to specifically in 2016 to the NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and talking to the people there that were doing, you know, products when it comes to RFID tagging or checking for yeast, mold, bacteria, infections, things like that, or any kind of that material into any plant and also the idea of that there were always certain states that did not have a level of compliance that did not have a particular level when it came to the medical side in terms of what symptoms are allowed to be treated with cannabis 
and that some states would kind of just stay below a particular barrier. And since government has not implemented anything towards the hemp bill, well, the hemp bill, we're still waiting for full response from the FDA. Whatever happened there, but when Scott Gottlieb left there, he was the one that was in, in charge when it happened. And ever since then, we've not heard anything else. Oh, we'll take, you know, we'll take uh, opinions from the public. Public commentary. Okay, well, that's enough public commentary. We've already got that now. The other thing is, internally, I would think the seed to health is trying to go and create where we're keeping that bar high for all these other states to follow so that when government comes in, they're just going to say, okay, you're reaching the standard. We don't need to do anything else. Exactly. And and if you make that, if you make that popular in the market, you know, that then, then it's fine. Then compliance just kind of falls by the wayside. You know, if, if you're, if your consumers or your patients say, Hey, I want something of this caliber because I know it's been tested for X, Y, Z, you know, I know the process because it's all been vetted by, you know, whether it's seed to health or, or another, uh, another, um, you know, SRO, then that's, then that's the way it should be. The market should show you that. And then government can go, Oh, okay, well, well that makes sense. You know, they've done their diligence. The market wants that. Then let's just put, you know, safe regulations around that or or b- below that standard because right. the way seed to health is set up is it is a higher standard than than the regulation um but no you're right and they, as far as rolling out um i just there's states that want to reinvent the wheel and then there's states that copy paste and everything in between and it's really i don't know for me the the issue is it's not based around science you're not really seeing I don't know, like mold and mildew. I mean, that's, that's not a new thing. That's, that's in food products. You know, it's, it's gotta be in, you know, tested in tobacco products, like all these things, like whether it's edibles, you know, combustibles, um, topicals, we already have agency. Mind you, this is six years ago. This could obviously, we've had a lot of technological, technological disruptions and change that probably have brought us to a different level. But I'm just saying back then, that was the discussion was compliance, 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 where we are today. I know there's a lot of states that are within the, the said companies. They're reaching a higher level. They're always going to go above the bar because that's because we're still not legalized federally. So we want to play nice. We want to play good so that they don't take away what we got right now. So right. it's things like that. I w- I'm curious to find out what happens with Seattle. I mean, so, excuse me, Maine. When it comes to what will happen with any changes if things keep happening again where a represent a revisiting of if metric can be taken away as just a, as becomes from a mandatory to an alternative option for seed to sell tracking and for compliance because of that's the case i want to see if that becomes a precedent that other states follow the same suit i like to see where that comes from so if anything does come up please come back to us and let us know about that i will absolutely Again, in the meantime, let's go ahead and talk about some of the websites you have. So, again, you are founder of the Maine Growers Alliance, and website there is maingrowersalliance.com, one word. They also own 1780, which uh, medical cannabis line, it's 1780, the, 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 the number 1780maine.com. Then you have the hemp company, Casco Bay Hemp, is C-A-S-C-O Bay Hemp.com. And... Anything else you want to leave us with? Um, I guess uh, to your listeners, um, you know, be loud, um, be an advocate, talk to your representatives, talk to your senators. Um, they need to hear from you. They're not going to know what to do unless they hear from you. And that's what they're, that's what they're there for. So advocate, advocate. All right. Evan Sumner with the Maine Growers Alliance, Casco Bay Hemp and 1780 based in Maine. Thanks for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You had to hear the full context of that interview. I gave you most of that there on the program because it was just so much to take in. If that's the case, listen, and I'm not judging about which platforms are good or not when it comes to metric. I'm not here to judge that. But if it's something where there's only certain options allowed and the craft cannabis owners, the and the MSOs not getting to play on the same level playing field, if that's something that can be avoided in the cannabis industry, then we need to fight for that. We need to make sure that we are present, whatever kind of control board meetings, 
seminars, open sessions, whatever there might be, that there has to be representation there, and there have to be people within the industry that will do that on the behalf of the industry. That's how I'm going to leave it right there for this week's episode. Thanks for listening in. Subscribe where you find the show, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of that. Please rate your review if you can, especially on Spotify, too. Make sure to give five stars if you definitely feel like you like the show. We'd love to get that. Thank you again. And if you want to also reach out to me, any potential guests you think we should have on the program, any topics we should talk about, or if you feel like you should be a guest on the program, email me, Brasco, B-R-A-S-C-O, at CannabisRia.com. I'm the host. That email goes right to me, and I'll be happy to talk to you. And love to go ahead and communicate with listeners and like. So thank you again for listening in to Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.